0: God desires that our hearts and minds hear his call to love, to love God, and to love others. God desires that our hearts and minds hear his call to love, to love him, and to love others. I invite you to open your Bibles with me. Um, Text will be on the screen, but I encourage you just getting in the Word, sometimes seeing the different versions and how they interpret it and just kind of wrestling with that and getting deeper. It's great to do that, and plus, I just like feeling the Bible. But I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark. We're going to take probably one of the strangest stories in all of Scripture, one of the strangest stories of Jesus that can be found in all of Scripture that I can guarantee you when you hear my opening statement that god desires that we hear him you're going to be like i think you have gone to the wrong story but i want to open your eyes i think to a new understanding of this incredibly awkward story found in mark chapter 11 mark chapter 11 verse 12 is where we'll begin so open your bibles find that story we're going to spend most of our time there we'll kind of branch out to get context from other places but in this story we find jesus and his disciples and the bible says mark chapter 11 verse 12 now the next day when they had come out from bethany he was hungry right we're going to stop right there because there's context we have to unpack so the next day The day before this, if you look at the context of the story, you will see that the day before this was the triumphal entry, the great story of Jesus when he was coming to Jerusalem for the last time, the beginning of that last week of his life in Jerusalem, the last week of his life, well, before the resurrection, I could say, because he spent another 40 days on earth. But his last week of life, before the death and resurrection experience, these last moments of Jesus, he is with his disciples, coming from Bethany, down the Mount of Olives, through the valley, and up the hill, up the mountain into Jerusalem. The the people are crying, Hosanna, our king has come, hoping for somebody to come in and free Jerusalem from Roman rule, looking for that earthly king to come and sit there and so they they lay down the the palm branches they lay down their their cloaks and their clothes and they come up and they just are singing the praises of jesus the scribes and pharisees in the temple you know are telling you can find in some other gospels you don't find this in mark but you can find it in some other gospels the the sadducees pharisees the scribes come and say jesus quiet these people down and jesus like no the rocks will cry out if these people are quiet so you're just going to have to deal with it And so, Jesus is there with his disciples the next day, walking the same road. I imagine after a parade, there's remnants of these browning branches still on the ground on the road. I'm sure if those kids back then were anything like me when I was a kid, I'm sure there's a few child's cloaks still out left on the road. Left there because they got so excited they forgot, and man if I, I unpack clothes at camp, I lost clothes at camp. If I wore the same clothes all week, then I came home with everything. Um, both of those things happened in my lifetime. But after a parade, after a parade, I'm sure that there was trash around. And, you know, I, I like parades. I had an experience once where I was able to be a part of a parade. And when I was in college, I was a music major. And My instrument was percussion, and my drum teacher had this opportunity. She and I went and worked with this group of kids, and we created a trash can band. So a trash can band that had the sole purpose of walking through the streets of Lincoln, Nebraska one weekend and encouraging people to keep the city clean. And so we we made these rhythms, and they played big trash cans and little trash cans with drumsticks and stuff. It was a lot of fun, and At the end of it, when they were done marching, they would kind of split and go to both sides. And they'd be like, keep Lincoln clean. And, I mean, just a great time. Parades are a lot of fun. And I'm sure the parade that Jesus experienced that day had a lot of that feeling. Just a lot of fun and exuberance. But the next day, when they had left Bethany, walking the very same road down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley, up to the Temple Mount, Jesus and his disciples are out walking, and Jesus becomes hungry. And going back to verse 13, picking up the story in verse 13, the Bible says, And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, in response, Jesus said to it, "Let no one eat fruit from you ever again kind of a kind of a terrible horrible, no good, very rotten day kind of a feeling right there. Um, let no one eat fruit from you ever again, no fruit now, no fruit ever. And his disciples heard it this this story confounds a lot of people because they look at this and they say this story can't possibly be true this story can't possibly be true because jesus would never go and destroy a tree for no reason especially when mark points out that it was not the season for figs okay this tree is doing what it's supposed to do and not producing fruit at this moment in time according to mark according to the season this is not when it's supposed to happen so jesus comes up and condemns this tree that has leaves but no figs, and is like, tree, you're done. And so many commentators and people just look at this and say, this can't be true. It can't, it can't be true. But I believe that it's completely true. I believe that Jesus did it, but not for his own purposes. Remember, when he was tempted into the wilderness, Jesus did not spend time turning stones into bread for his own purposes. And in his only miracle of destruction, Jesus' only miracle of destruction occurring right here, he would not be doing this for his own purposes. So we need to figure out what those purposes were. Now, I want to focus a little bit on that phrase that Mark closes this story with and his disciples heard it because the question is why even mention that of course they heard it they're standing right there of course they hear it. why mention that israel has a lot of things that it kind of identifies itself with as as americans if i were to show you a bald eagle or something you would you would have a sense of bald eagles are cool you would have a sense of bald eagles represent america you know, it represent, you know, there's something about that. And it's kind of like a national, a national symbol of just pride and beauty and, you know, fierceness that you have in the eagle. Just a really cool thing. Well, Israel had very similar things, except for their, their bald eagle was in fact trees. Now I want to go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet that prophesied to Judah, specifically to Jerusalem in the last during the last five reigns of kings that led up to the destruction and captivity of Babylon. So Jeremiah was prophesying right up to the moments when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. And I want to notice something that Jeremiah says. So if you want, flip over to Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. Verse 13, this is a prophecy against Jerusalem, against the holy temple, against that city. And he's going down talking about um, people who are wise, but really aren't being wise. Wise men who don't do the right things. He's talking about people who say, peace, peace. It's going to be okay when there's not peace. He's talking about those kind of people. And then in response to that, verse 13, Jeremiah says this of the Lord. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade. And the things I have given them shall pass away from them. So Jeremiah, standing almost in the same spot as Jesus, talking about Jerusalem, comes and is saying, there will be a time when there's no grapes on the vines, when there's no figs on the fig tree, and that the leaf shall fade, and all things I have given them shall pass away. I believe this is what the disciples were hearing. If, if I were to, there, there are phrases that we can say where we just know what you're talking about, where you just know what somebody's talking about. And right now, I'm wishing I had looked some up because it'd make a really good illustration. But on the spot, I cannot think of any. But you think of them. Think of these phrases that if somebody were to say it, you just kind of know what they're talking about. I think when the disciples heard what Jesus did, this, this prophecy from years and years and years before would have come to their mind and they would have maybe like, whoa, I've heard that before. I've heard, I remember the prophecy of Jeremiah talking about, This this fig tree that doesn't have figs and that fades away. Wow. Interesting. So they came to Jerusalem. Mark chapter 11, verse 15 again. So after they have this experience, they continue on up the mountain to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. Overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Verse 17. Then he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes. And chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. So Jesus, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, seems to continue. He curses this fig tree. He then goes into the temple and begins to throw over the tables, overturn the chairs of what's going on in this, in the temple. These are the kind of two weird stories to put together, two weird stories to kind of sync together, but understand that Mark is doing something. Mark is trying to point out a feature, point out, draw attention to what the story of the Bible is about, to point out what God has been saying over and over would happen. He is pointing this out and reminding us, inviting us to take time and see how these two stories connect and to and and to understand what Jesus is wanting for us to know about the temple. The temple started off as the tent out in the out in the desert, started out as the courtyard with the with the the basin and the altar and the laver and then went into the holy place and most holy place. That was kind of the temple. And a lot of times, you know, I find myself hearing temple and think of that. But over the years after David and Solomon had constructed this temple and years and years had gone on, they'd added to it and they had all sorts of different parts of the temple. There were like courts of the Gentiles and courts of the women, you know, and, there, were, there would be signs, they found in archaeological evidence, they found like plaques that, that they would place up on these entrances to the next section saying, if you are a Gentile and you go past this point, you are taking your own life into your hands and your death will be on you. Kind of a thing, you know. And so they had built these different, segmented out these areas where you could go to the temple, but yet still not really get to the good parts of the temple not get into the inner spot oh you're not allowed all the way in that's that's for that's just for the jews and so they had created this system and this the system of worship that then preyed on those who had nothing the the poor people who would come the widows all of these people who would come to the temple they would take their sacrifices and often they would inspect them and deem them not perfect enough. And they would then have them go in and buy other, other temple, you know, sacrificial animals from the changers. And then would kind of, you know, some evidence says that they would just kind of recycle the ones they took away and put them back in into the, the fold and resell them. Kind of just a just a scam of what's going on. And so these people, the scribes, the Pharisees, the temple leaders, have created this system of worship that is meant to exclude and take advantage of those who have come seeking God. The temple sitting on that beautiful hill that kind of sticks out like a peninsula almost among these other hills that are there in Jerusalem, with this beautiful structure of the temple sitting on on it, I just can see it gleaming in the sunlight as people would come up to it. They would say, we're almost there, we're almost there, we're to the place where we're going to get to worship God, meet God, we're going to get to offer our sacrifices, we're going to get to do this. But then there were obstacles after obstacles. And what the temple had been meant to do, the peace that the temple was meant to offer for centuries had been just ruined and corrupted with greed, ruined and corrupted with with bad intentions and just hypocrisy like none other. And Jesus comes in to the temple. He comes in and begins to teach. And he quotes two Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Isaiah the first you find in Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11 Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11 this this section of scripture again is Jeremiah prophesying about what's happening going on there and refers to those the the people of Jerusalem as those who have become like a den of robbers now some translations will use thieves or some other variation of that but what he's saying here is like, hopefully I have it. Yes, den of thieves. So the New King James Version has den of thieves. A lot of other translations will have den of robbers. I've found a lot of people who differentiate differentiate between that, and I think that it's kind of true. But what what it's saying is it's saying these aren't people just taking an opportune moment to take something from somebody. Like the opportunity's there. And they just kind of grab it and go away. Um, like I kind of say about doors and locks and stuff. Doors and locks are only meant to keep the honest people out. Um, doors and locks don't really keep the dishonest people out because they can come through. And if they're going to get through, they're going to get through. And so what Jesus is saying is that he's saying, this isn't just somebody taking an opportune moment to take advantage and then kind of going home and feeling bad about it. He's saying that the the temple, both now at the time of Jesus and through jeremiah has become something where it is a systematic destruction of what the temple's supposed to be it's supposed to be this place of hope but they've turned it into this place of commerce and just corruption this temple sitting on a hill that's supposed to be a light shining out a beacon of hope has become a place where people are abused a place where people are taken advantage of. It has become a den of thieves, a den of robbers. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. Jesus, again, referring to the temple proper that kind of would have been built out and those areas meant for the Gentiles and those foreigners who had come. You know, that was talked about all the way back in Isaiah. And Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 says, even them, speaking of the foreigners, speaking of eunuchs, speaking of these people who are not supposed to be in the temple, even then, even when you know it says these people aren't supposed to go, it doesn't mean that they're never supposed to be able to come to it, and so even them the foreigners and the eunuchs, God is saying, I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. When the Bible says that Jesus was there teaching, and and references these verses, you have to assume that Jesus didn't just use this one verse in his sermon. When Jesus was teaching, he probably taught the whole context of what was going on. But just in the gospel writers, they kind of point out, here is the main point of what he was saying. And so, as Jesus comes in that day, after cursing the fig tree, and arrives at the temple, Jesus is there, overturning these temples... Tables beginning to uproot this system of sacrifice that has been established. And he's saying that what you have turned this into, while it was never going to be good enough, has become something that is awful and detestable to God. It's become something that is going to cause this temple to be destroyed. So Jesus, saying these things, Bible says that the scribes and chief priests heard it. It's interesting, and I don't want to get too geeky on you or too Greeky on you, but it there's a difference in the words that are used there that just gets missed in English. And in Greek there's different ways to make different verbs have like different actions okay i said different 10 times but hopefully you track what i was saying so different ways to make verbs have like either a complete action a continuing action a once and done action whatever it might be but in this story mark when he references the disciples hearing jesus pronouncement of curse on the tree and the scribes and pharisees hearing jesus teaching in the temple there is a difference in those words, they heard it. With the disciples, it is the verb tense that kind of in, insinuates and denotes uh, continuing action, continual thought. It was something that began to get into their, their system. They, they heard it, and it didn't leave them. They heard it, and they allowed it to begin to like, whoa. They, they, they contemplated on it. They, they thought about it, and so they heard it. the chief priests and scribes heard Jesus' teaching as well against the temple. And the tense used there is that they heard it and it was done. There was no continuing, there was no no internalizing of what was said because in this moment, even when Jesus came with pronouncement, and you can find it over and over, throughout all of the awful prophets and the, the prophecies that they did, that are tough to read and we don't... It's just like, oh my goodness, this is awful. With every single one of them, there comes a moment of mercy, a moment of forgiveness, an offering of, this is what's going to happen, but, but you can change. You can accept. And the disciples in that moment when they heard it and allowed it to seep in, it may not have been that day, it may not have been that week, it may not have even been until Pentecost or years later that they began to really see what was going on, but they heard it and they allowed it to germinate, to, to build up as they understood what Jesus was really trying to say. Now, I will blame my wife for this, but really... It's my decision too now, but she's gotten me into cooking shows. Maybe the first three shows she had to be like, here, let's watch this. I'm like, okay, whatever. Now the, I don't know, five shows and 50 seasons that we've watched of all of those shows, um, I'm hooked. And maybe because I had a little stint of working in Applebee's in the kitchen. I, I ran the Applebee's kitchen line during lunch rush for several years. That was a lot of fun. I'm um, glad I don't have to do that anymore but what i find interesting on these cooking shows is a lot of times when the kitchen is hopping and everybody's everybody's you know doing what they, they have and the and the chef calls out an order and i need, need a blt with you know something on the side you know whatever it might be they they come back with this statement of heard chef if you are a chipotle connoisseur as i am I've noticed that happening at Chipotle, too. They'll say, chicken, chicken up, and the whole line will yell, heard! And I just love it, because it—it it just it's like this moment where they say, I've acknowledged your response, I've internalized it, I, I, I've heard it, I'm going to act on it, I know what's going to happen. The disciples, I think, that day, even if they weren't prepared for what was about to happen in just five short days, they heard it. They heard what was going on, and they heard the message beyond what the actual words were saying. They heard what Jesus was really trying to indicate, and they allowed it to affect their lives. So Mark wants to point out that this weird story of this fig tree, of Jesus' no good, very, very horrible, rotten day, whatever it is, I can't remember how to say it now, um, but whatever it was, this awful day that he's having, Mark breaks it up. If you find the story in Matthew, you will see that it's kind of all put together. But it, Mark breaks it up, and I think this is probably how it happened. So Jesus is in the temple, and they teach until it's time to go back home. And then they walk back up to Bethany and stay, spend the night. And we pick it back up in Mark chapter 20. The conclusion of this weird story now in the morning verse 20 says now in the morning as they passed by they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and peter of course it's peter and peter remembering said to him rabbi look i can't decide if i should read it with joy or horror or what but rabbi look the fig tree which you cursed has withered away Just a strange story. But the strangeness does not stop there. In fact, I was reading a commentary this week that said that's kind of where the story should stop because what comes next must have been Mark just forgetting or just kind of saying, oh, I need to talk about this next topic and just sticking it in. But Jesus answers the the exclamation of, look, Rabbi, The tree you cursed has withered away. Jesus says, have faith in God. What? That that, that makes no sense. The tree you withered, that you cursed has withered away. Have faith in God. Withered trees are not my go-to faith motivation for me personally. But Jesus answered, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, I don't want to step on any toes too much. But oftentimes, I think we use this text way out of context. Because I'm sure at some point we've all talked about, man, if I just had faith the size of a mustard seed, I could move this, I could move a mountain. I could move a mountain. And I just, I always think of that like, if I have faith to move mountains. Now in 1 Corinthians 13, that phrase is kind of used, so I will will concede that point. But every other place in the Gospels that this is used, that is referenced, it's not faith to move a mountain. The Bible says, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, the fig tree, withered on the side of the road from Bethany, down the Mount of Olives, across the Valley, up to the Temple Mount, where the temple sits in my mind, Gleaming in the early morning sunlight. Reflecting back towards them as they are coming in from the east. Jesus saying, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain. This mountain that has come to represent a religion gone wrong. That has come to represent everything that has been distorted by sinful men about what God wanted for his creatures, that what God wanted for his creation. He is saying that if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, get up and be removed into the sea. If you read that carefully and just picture that, mountain or landmass be removed and go back into the sea. This is almost a moment of decreation. It's a moment of undoing something that has been created. It's taking something and putting it into to the sea where it is thought to go into this abyss, into this nothingness. It is a moment where God is saying This mountain that was supposed to be a beacon of hope for nations, for all people, has become a place of business, of commerce, of greed, of corruption, where there is no hope, where there is no peace. And God is saying in that moment, this mountain, this mountain that represents all of these things will be taken away. It will be taken away, as Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels. If you tear this temple down, I will build it back up in three days. Referring to himself. Because God never decreates without Adding an option for recreation. And in this moment of saying, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, you can say to this mountain, get up and be moved into the abyss. Get up and go away forever. Get up and be sunk away so I never have to see it again. This is Jesus reminding us of, of his call, of his promise that He will make us new creations. That He is offering us to say to ourselves, to say to us, this mountain, whatever that mountain might be in your life, this mountain of addiction, this mountain of anger, this mountain of pain that's in your life, this mountain of suffering, this mountain of injustice this mountain of no mercy whatever it might be in your life jesus is saying if we have faith we can say to any mountain in our lives get up and be moved into the sea get up and be moved into the sea be no more Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This day when Jesus cursed this fig tree as an enacted parable reminding the disciples and all those who would hear it, I have come to set things right. I have come to remove the the awful things from my temple. I have come to not I've come to disrupt the sacrificial system because I am That lamb, I am going to be the perfect lamb and jesus has come to say this temple can be cast into the sea It can be destroyed. It can be No more because i'm going to rise up and i'm going to be that chief priest that these Priests are not being i'm going to be that perfect high priest for you That has gone through your sufferings that understands what you're doing But yet is always there for you. Jesus is reminding us that he wants to be that priest in our lives Jesus is reminding us that these mountains that are in our way, these mountains that have become seemingly larger than life, more than we could move. You see, God has not called us to be. Es- ex- oh, try that again. God has not called us to be excavators. Okay, He did not call us to get into the mining business. We are not supposed to go to say to the mountain over here you know, just get up out of the way so they can finish road construction faster. You know, it's not so we can find gold quicker or anything like that. God is not asking us to move mountains into the sea. God is reminding us, listen, the things that are in your way that are corrupting, the things that are in your life that should not be there, he's offering us a way out saying, if you have faith, you can say to this mountain, get up and move. And Luke That story has a reference to you can say to this mulberry tree, get up and move. You can say to these things that represent what they shouldn't. Things that don't represent what they should. You can say to these things in your life, get up and be moved. God is inviting us to hear his call. He is calling us. Every day, and he will do whatever it takes to remind us that his love for us is so great that a system that did not work because, frankly, it could not work. He was coming to replace and say, I'm going to be that lamb, I am going to be the one. If you have faith, you can say to this mountain, Get up and move. What mountains in your life do you need? to ask God to move. God will move those mountains. He longs to move those mountains. God desires, God desires that we hear His call. Hear His call to love God and to love others. Friends, I hope that you will hear the call of Jesus I hope that you will respond to it. I hope that you will let him come into your life. I hope that you will hear that call continually. Let's pray. Father God, we find ourselves today in a moment where we need to have faith because each of us has mountains in our lives. And Lord, you have promised that if we have faith, God will take care of what we've asked for. Lord, if we are the people who are causing corruption, chaos. If we are causing anything that does not truly reflect you, God, I pray that you would remove that. Lord, I pray that you would replace it with that new creation that you've promised us. The old things are gone. The new will come. God, enter into our lives. God, you are welcome here. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus.